Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Thursday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a sports ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. Make sure you guys are following EthosFantasyBB, checking out all the great new stuff we got in there. I think there's been seven new articles that have gone live in the draft guide over the last 24 hours. At six or seven at this point, I'm losing track, but we are closing in on 20 pieces that are available for you guys in the draft guide, and all those links are going to be available at Ethos Fantasy BB as well. Most of them have already been posted over there. Uh, there's some articles we're just playing catch up a little bit on the social media end, but they're all available at sportsethos.com for you guys to be checking out. So make sure you guys do, and I'd really appreciate it if you guys would show some support on Twitter and hit the follow button there as well. Forget about my own account. Just go and follow Ethos Fantasy BB, E-T-H-O-S Fantasy BB. I know I've been saying it quite a bit, but it is because we have been planning a lot of stuff, and a lot of it has now been released. So really appreciate that, guys. Today, we are going to be doing a dual team preview. <clears throat> now, this is the first one I'm doing solo, and there's a couple of reasons why. We're pushing towards the start of the season, and I've mentioned this a couple of times on the podcast over the last few months, over the last year, really. Uh, this has been my first year producing content, producing fantasy baseball content. The timing of how everything is supposed to work in the offseason, I was a little bit caught off guard by how quickly um, the season came upon us. I figured there'd be a lot more time in the offseason, even though there's almost six months, uh, the way that it was all planned out and everything. I'm a little bit behind where I'd want to be. Obviously, next year will be better as I have another year of experience under my belt, but we're kind of pushing a little bit close to opening day at this point, so I'm going to try and bang out the rest of these team previews. We have a couple more guests that we're going to have coming onto the show, uh, but today we're going to be talking about a couple of teams that are a little bit less interesting. We don't need to go through the entirety of the teams, whereas with a lot of teams that we've done so far, we're going through one through nine in the lineup or one through eight in the lineup. We're talking about all five starting pitchers. We're talking about different closer jobs. With these two teams today... They're not that deep that we need to have two separate episodes for them. They're both fairly poor teams. You guys know who I'm talking about. If you clicked on the episode, you know who the title is. We're talking about the Pirates and the Nationals. And don't turn it off just yet. If you guys clicked on the show, appreciate it because I know these teams are not the most exciting. But <clears throat> if you break it down individually, there are definitely some players who are interesting on both of these teams. More so on the Pirates, and we're going to start with them. But there are definitely some players to keep an eye on on both teams. And we'll just start... The way we've done these with guests, but we're going to do it solo, obviously. Just going through roster resource, talking about some ADP data that we have from recent drafts, and just giving my thoughts on them. So we're going to start right at the top. We got O'Neill Cruz as the projected leadoff hitter here for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Now, O'Neill Cruz, I think, is probably pretty reasonably priced in drafts. He's going around pick 70, thereabouts. Uh, it does vary a little bit. Sometimes he goes a little bit higher, just looking at these recent drafts. His minimum pick is, and I'm looking at the last 18 draft champions right now, minimum pick of 54 and a maximum of 80. So anywhere in that range is generally where he's going. 
the potential is is so sky high for him. Like realistically, we could see a 25-25 season out of him, if not more in terms of the power output. He had 17 homers in 87 games last year. You know, just about half a season, you want to just about double that 17. Let's call it like 32 home runs. That's pretty good. That'll play wherever you are. The stolen base numbers should be pretty legit. He had 10 of them in 87 games last year. He's projected on the various systems for anywhere from about 15 to 19. Totally doable. The only thing that's going to kind of hold you back a little bit with O'Neill Cruz is the batting average. 233 last year. Projection systems have him for generally, actually all of them have him going somewhere in the 240 range. From about 244 to 248, which at that point it's all the same. There are some things that I don't like. He strikes out too much. Last year at the big league level, he struck out 35% of the time. That's definitely a no-no. But you give him another year to adjust to major league pitching. And, I mean, it does work both ways. They'll adjust more to him. But give him another year to really understand major league pitching. And we definitely could see that strikeout rate go back down. He's always going to run pretty high strikeout rates, I think, based on what we saw in the minors. Always around 25% and up. Now, I think he's probably going to be close to 30% as a major leaguer. But that shouldn't hold him back from a fantasy point of view if he's given you you know, the stats that he has been giving you so far in his major league career, which granted very small sample size, but if he's going to be giving you over 87 games, 17 homers and 10 steals, you'll, you'll definitely take it. The thing that was interesting with O'Neill Cruz too, is that the counting stats didn't suffer as much as you might think, considering he played half a season and he was playing in Pittsburgh. And before, you know, looking at it, and I didn't really have a lot of O'Neill Cruz. I think I had him in one team at the end of last year. Um, I didn't really get to experience this, but he had 54 RBIs and 45 runs in 87 games. You know, again, you, you want to prorate that. You want to essentially double that over the course of a whole season. Take away a couple, sure, because it's 87 games, and you know he probably won't play 162. But let's call it, you know, that's a pace of about 90 runs and 100 RBIs on this team. So as much as I think that they will hold him back because of the counting stats, because he's going to lead off the RBI number, probably won't be so high. But there's definitely a lot to like with O'Neill Cruz. The upside is through the roof. He hits the ball harder than pretty much anybody. He's right up there with Stanton as one of the hardest hitters in the game. And I think he actually, not, I think he did have the hardest hit ball in the stat cast there last season. So the power's legit. The speed's legit. The counting stats might not hurt you as much as you might think. The only real area where you're going to be concerned a bit is the batting average. And I think you can make up for that depending on how you've built your team. You can definitely work around that. And I think the price on O'Neill Cruz is pretty reasonable. So, no need to be staying away because of the batting average of the bad team. As far as I see it, I'd like to get him a little bit later on. I'd like to get everybody a little bit later on. I think the price at 70 roughly is pretty reasonable. Now, moving on to number two is Brian Reynolds. We've talked about Brian Reynolds quite a bit. We talked about him in our outfield preview. We've talked about him throughout the offseason as somebody who is a potential trade target. And again, it's still surprising to me that Pittsburgh has not traded him. There's all kinds of news always coming out about what he asked for and what they offered back. And from what I remember, I don't have the exact figures in front of me, but what he asked for seemed very reasonable. It wasn't some crazy $35, $40 million a year deal. It was somewhere around $20 million, I think. Uh, I can actually pull it up real quick. But it's just it's crazy to me that they haven't traded him. It seems that they don't really have that much interest in him whatsoever. Um, you know, They want to just kind of cheap him out and keep him there without having to properly pay him. Um, so the, the contract that he wanted was $134 million over eight years. It's a 16 and a half, 16.75 average annual value. That's a very reasonable deal. If I were the pirates, I probably would have taken that offer from him. I know that's not usually how it works. The team offers the player, but that's a very reasonable dollar figure to lock him down over eight years. He's 28 years old. He just recently turned 28. So you'd lock him down through age 36. 
I think that would have made a lot of sense. They countered with something that was utterly ridiculous. I can't, I don't think it's in this article here, but they offered him something that was, yeah, it was six years and 80 million is what they offered him. You know, you're offering him three or four million less annually. You're giving him less security in terms of playing into his later 30s. So no, no surprise that Reynolds denied that trade or denied that contract. I do think that they will end up trading him, and that would just be a positive for his fantasy value. Maybe he wouldn't bat second wherever he ends up going, but I think there's a decent chance he'd still be fairly high in the lineup. He's a guy who walks at a good clip for the career, almost 10%. He's got a little bit of speed. You know, he's not going to steal you a crazy number of bases, but somewhere in the 5 to 7, 5 to 10 range is what you're going to expect from him. There should be teams that will be, I mean, I'm sure a lot of teams are trying to acquire him. I think that he will be traded, and that will just be a huge positive for the value. Even if he doesn't get traded, I think that you can still see a decent season. These last two years have been very good, even though 2022 was not quite as good as 2021. You know, the walk rate went down a little bit. The strikeout rate went up. The batting average went down. The counting stats were generally lower as well. It wasn't as good of a season. He did have more home runs and fewer games and fewer plate appearances, which is a huge positive. He's a potential 30 home run guy, 25 to 30 homers. In terms of the runs he's going to give you, it's probably going to be about 80. RBIs are going to be fairly lacking. Batting second for this lineup, unfortunately, probably not going to see anything more than maybe 75 RBIs. Some projection systems have them for 68. The high number is 87 there from the bat. I think you're probably going to see somewhere in the 70-ish kind of range. Uh, you know, I, I don't have high expectations for RBIs for really anybody on this team. But I do think Brian Reynolds is a very, very safe outfield draft pick, even if he doesn't get traded, but especially if he does. For some reason, I, I see Brian Reynolds and I see a New York Yankee. And I don't like to project that on any good players to go to the Yankees. I am a diehard Blue Jay fan. I do not want the Yankees to get better. But Brian Reynolds, and this is nothing that's deep analytical or anything like that, he just gives off the vibe of a New York Yankee. For whatever reason, I don't know what it is. If I were to guess right now, I'd say that he probably ends up going to New York at some point during the season. And then you, your counting stats are going to really, really look pretty good there for Brian Reynolds. So I don't have any reason to be staying away from him. I think the price going around pick 100, a little bit inside, about 91 in these most recent drafts. I think it's very reasonable. Outfield does suck. And I'm realizing that even more in my three outfielder leagues because I've started off draft season doing a lot of five outfielder leagues and five outfielder uh, mock drafts. And it sucked. And then I started doing more three outfielder leagues and three outfielder mock drafts, and it still kind of sucks. So, you know, you're paying if you if you and I talked about this yesterday with Dave McDonald, and it was in reference to Andres Jimenez. If you were to take away positions from every player in baseball, Andres Jimenez, you know, just just look at the pure skills and who they are. I don't think Andres Jimenez is gonna go in the eighties. I don't necessarily think Brian Reynolds is gonna go in the nineties. But when you look at the positions that they play, the stat lines that they give you at those positions, uh, you know I think that you're looking at a pretty decent draft price for both of them. You know, just going off board here with Jimenez, but around pick 90, I think you can't really go too wrong with either of them. Specifically here with Brian Reynolds, you know he could give you 30 home runs. He could steal 10 bases with the increased rules. We've seen his steals go from five to seven from 2021 to 2022. It's not a crazy thing to expect it to go up to 10 given the new rules. You know, the only thing, like I said before, was the counting stats and the, the batting average. I haven't really touched on the batting average. He's a 280 career hitter across what is now 2,000 plate appearances. You know, pretty decent sample size. You got to figure he can probably rebound back to somewhere in the 270, 280 range. <clears throat> Last year was pretty poor for him batting average wise, comparatively speaking, at 262. He's always been a good batting average guy, though, and you got to remove 2020. It's not an accurate representation of anybody that season. He batted 189 over those 55 games. But he batted 314 the year before that. He batted 302 the year after that. 
And, you know, Babbitt was a little bit lower this past season at 306 compared to what it usually is. And the batting average went down. But I think we could probably see not going to be a crazy increase from this, but there's a potential for him to bat 300 still. Like, that is totally within the range of outcomes for him. I'm probably projecting for 270, 280 just to be a little more on the conservative side. But there's a lot to like about Brian Reynolds, and I think the draft price is pretty reflective of where he should be going. Now, those are <clears throat> truly the main big interesting pieces here in the in the Pirates lineup. There are a couple other guys who do interest me to some degree. Cabrian Hayes is a guy who does interest me. And we talked about him on the Potapalooza panel on the weekend. I don't know if you guys heard that one. But we were talking about some bus potentials, and Gunnar Henderson's name came up as a bus potential. And I, I chimed in with, what's the huge difference between Gunnar Henderson and Cabrian Hayes, who goes about 100 picks after him? You know, it's not much. You're going to have a bit more power from Gunnar Henderson. Probably a couple more steals from Hayes. Everything else probably going to balance out pretty evenly. So I don't, I'm not a huge Cabrian Hayes guy by any means. You know, when he first came up in 2020, that short stretch of games, he looked really good, unrealistically good with an ISO over 300. The Babbitt was 450. You know, the WRC Plus was 194 in that little sample size. It was not really sustainable. But these last couple of years have still been disappointing, regardless of what you were expecting after that first season, even after, you know, <clears throat> baking in some regression into your own thought process of how he was going to progress. But still, I like Cabrian Hayes this year. And I think a lot of it comes down, and with me, with really every player, whether I like him or don't like him, not every player, there's some players where you'd stay away because of an injury risk or a ballpark or whatever, but it almost always comes down to price. And Cabrian Hayes, you can get around pick 180. And I, I know third base sucks. It really, truly sucks. I'm trying to go get my hands on your Austin Riley's and your Rafael Devers and your Jose Ramirez's and your Manny Machado's. I'm going for those guys as early as I possibly can because third base sucks. But if you do miss out on those guys, because most people in most drafts will miss out on those guys, Cabrian Hayes at pick 180, I think it's a very, very reasonable price to be paying for somebody who is going to give you definitely double-digit steals. Last year was 20. He's projected for anywhere from 15 to 20, and that's totally reasonable. The power, it's going to have to come eventually. I mean, maybe it doesn't have to come eventually, but at this point, I mean, we should see double-digit home runs from him at least. That that would shock me if he doesn't at least get up to double-digit home runs over a full season. He had five of them in 24 games in 2020. Then he had six of them over 96 games in 21, and then last year was only seven. So we need, we need to see the power come around. I think it will more so that he has progressed a little bit now. He has got 1,000 plate appearances under his belt. I don't think he's going to be a big power hitter, but can he get to 10? The projections seem to think so. I wouldn't agree. It's with them there. Again, like everybody else on this team, I don't think there's going to be crazy high counting stats. RBIs and runs are probably going to equal 120, 130. Both good stolen base numbers, pretty average uh, batting average total, everything else that goes along with it. I think that Cabrian Hayes makes for a pretty decent value where he is going around pick 180. Again, I'm not reaching up for him. He is a guy where if I miss on some of the other interesting names, at third base that I would take a look at. But as of right now, I think that he is he's a pretty reasonable target, even if you're looking at just a corner infield option a little bit later on. You need to make up some steals or whatever the case may be. I do think that there is some value in Cabrian Hayes. Now, that really pretty much is it. I have talked about Carlos Santana a lot this offseason. I think that he is going to be a pretty decent value over at first base in terms of late late speculative picks. Draft champions, I think that he is a play. OBP leagues, he is probably a play. Uh, but in your standard fantasy leagues, probably no value in Carlos Santana. The only other guy in the lineup who really, truly interests me, because Jack Sawinski kind of does, but not really. I mean, there's decent power there, but... 
that's pretty much it for Jack Sawinski. I mean, the only other guy that really truly interests me is Andrew McCutcheon. As much as you know, I want to be interested in Sawinski. The batting average is real low. He doesn't really do too much else for you at all, other than just hit home runs. Andrew McCutcheon kind of sneakily had a pretty decent year last year, even though we've kind of just forgotten about him from a fantasy point of view. He had 17 homers and eight stolen bases. He batted 237. It wasn't great. I had him in a couple of leagues. I had him in, I think the both of the leagues I had him in were points leagues. And he was actually very, very good in that format. He's not who he used to be, but he's still probably worth a look as like your fifth outfielder, I want to say. Maybe that's pushing it a little bit, but honestly, I don't even think that it is. He's going back to Pittsburgh where it all where all the magic started for him, where he spent the majority of his career. Maybe something comes back. Maybe it comes back a little more than what we saw last year, even though last year, for me, was a totally acceptable season from Andrew McCutcheon. He was not expensive. I think he was a waiver wire pickup or you know very late draft pick, and he still returned very good value. It's 66 runs and 69 RBIs. Now, the team he was on last year was a you know it was a better team. It wasn't a great team in Milwaukee, but certainly a better offense than in Pittsburgh. I think we're going to see those numbers come down a little bit, but still, if he's giving you, let's call it 50 to 60 runs to go along with 60-some-odd RBIs, let's call it 15 homers, and with the stolen base rules here, after eight steals last year, he is a year older. Probably call it eight again with a you know just an all-right batting average, probably a little bit lower than all-right 230s, 240s. He's not somebody that I would actively be targeting, but if he ends up as your fifth outfielder, I think you could do worse. I, I really do. He is not somebody who is a liability. The batting average, again, is kind of the only thing where you're looking at, and it's like, okay, that's not great. But everywhere else, he's giving you low-end four-category production, which is crazy to think about Andrew McCutcheon at this point, but that's what he's done for these last several years. He's just a year removed from hitting 27 home runs in 2021. I don't think that he is done yet. I think that he is, again, not somebody I'm targeting, raising up the boards. I'm not terribly interested in him. But there is definitely some value as either a fifth outfielder or a bench option in some of your deeper leagues. Now, that's, that's truly it for the lineup. In terms of the pitching, it's bad, guys. It's, it's really bad, and I guess, you know, we'll, we'll talk about some of the, a couple of the minor league guys who are interesting after we go through the pitching here. Mitch Keller, Ronzi Contreras, Rich Hill, JT Brubaker, and Vince Velasquez. Oh, man. It's, do we have to talk about these guys? I guess we kind of do a little bit. Mitch Keller's the only one, really, and maybe Contreras that I'd have any interest in, and even there... I don't think I really do, considering the draft price. You know, the win potential for both these guys is going to be very suppressed on this team. They're not going to win more than 65 or so games. We'll start with Keller here because he's been kind of interesting in spring training. He's mixing in a couple new pitches. He throws like six pitches, Mitch Keller. It might be a little bit excessive at this point, five or six pitches. I don't know that it's really going to make that much of a difference. If you look at what he did last year in the last couple of years, it's okay. Last season was definitely better than what we've seen the last couple of seasons from him, specifically 2021. I mean, if you're looking before that, it's more abbreviated seasons, 11 starts, five starts. It's hard to really judge. He was better this year than he was the year prior, but he's still a guy who pitches for a poor team, a very poor team, probably walks too many batters, doesn't strike out nearly enough batters. And at the end of the day, I don't know what the what the upside is in drafting Mitch Keller, where he's going to pick 370. I think that he is... You know, he's pretty boring, honestly. Like, maybe he is able to return, you know, roughly top 350 value, three-something, you know, somewhere in the 300s on the player rater kind of thing. I don't see him going terribly above that, you know. There's no real true upside that I see in Mitch Keller. At just about 27 years old, I think we kind of generally know who he is, even if he is tinkering with some pitches. 
He's not going to be an ace. He's not going to be somebody that I'm targeting. If I end up with him, it's on a deeper league team where I am just trying to find some innings later on past pick 350. And at that point, sure, if you want to take him as, you know, just insurance, that's fine. I've heard some people try to hype him up a little bit on Twitter. I'm not there for it. I don't think there's going to be that much value of Mitch Keller at all. And Ronzi Contreras, he's going a little bit even higher than Keller. He's going about pick 300. Let me just double check that. 302. 302 is where Contreras is going. And again, he's he's younger, uh, so there is more hope there. He's got more hype as a prospect. He's got more strikeouts under his belt or potentially under his belt. Um, but again, I can't see myself being that interested in him. He was fine last season. He, you know, he had 18 starts. He won five games, which is about as much as you're going to hope for ratio-wise in terms of starts to wins for this team. Even that's probably pushing it a little bit, honestly. Like, <clears throat> if he makes 30 starts this year, which, you know, the projections think it's going to be about 28-29, they're calling for best-case scenario, Steamer has nine wins. Zips has him for five wins over 25 starts. Like, that's a huge killer for value for pitchers, and we're going to talk about the Nationals after. It's the same kind of deal. You're, you're killing any value that you have in these pitchers if you're drafting guys who, like Keller, like they don't strike anybody out, plus you're killing the win upside. I don't see it. Now, with Contreras, there is definitely more strikeout upside. He was over a 30% guy in the minor leagues a lot of the time, upper 20s, lower 30s, even as high as 37% in AAA in 2021. Now, it was not a big sample size in AAA. Actually, that was literally one game, so never mind about that one. Um, but he has shown you know, good potential for strikeouts over his time in the minor leagues, upwards of 30%. Walk rates, not bad. They were a little bit too high in the majors, but in the minors, 6 7 8% generally is what he's given you. Now, last year in the bigs, it was almost 10% too high. I think he can probably get that down a little bit back to like 8% or so. But still, uh, there's just not a hell of a lot of upside. He'd really have to take a huge step forward for him to really be worth it this season. So with Ronzi Contreras, I'm not really going to be so interested in drafting him at all. He'd have to fall a little bit. I don't hate him necessarily, but at pick 300, I think there's still some better options on the board, and there's really not the highest upside with either of these guys. And if you go through the rest of their rotation as well, there's just, again, there's no real true upside in any of these guys. Rich Hill... Forget about it. There's like there's nothing to be had there. Um, you know, maybe with Hill and Brubaker and Velazquez, there'll be times where you can have a, an advantageous week where you can stream them in potentially. They're playing a couple other bad teams if they're at home against Cincinnati or if they're at home against Washington or home against Oakland or something. Maybe you can stream them in later on in the season, but there is no need to be drafting any of these guys for fantasy. Hill, Brubaker, and Velazquez, I'm just not really there. Now, in terms of the bullpen, this is David Bednar's job to lose. He is not going to lose it. I don't think there's nobody else in this bullpen, I think, who's who's really even capable of carrying a closer role. If he does get traded, I honestly don't know what they would do if they turned to Robert Stevenson, maybe, or Will Crow. Uh, it's it's truly, <clears throat> excuse me, it's truly Bednar or nobody at this point. Like, I think there's a decent chance he gets traded. And there was talk last year that the Blue Jays were interested and a few other teams were interested. There's just, you know, first of all, not first of all, because I mentioned it, he is, there's just nobody else. There's truly nobody else to even speculate on deeper in your drafts here. I don't think, like, I want to see where Robert Stevenson is going real quick, but I can't imagine that there is much interest. He's going to pick 7-10, so I guess at the end of your draft there, maybe you, you take a chance on Stevenson, but this is going to be Bednar's, Bednar's job. I, I do like David Bednar. I have him as a top 10 closer this season. I just want to pull up my rankings. I think he was right at 10. Yeah, he was right at 10 in the rankings 
I like him a lot. I think that he does a lot of good things for you. A lot of strikeouts, walks, pretty decent, pretty average, 7 8% walk rate. Uh, you know, the, the total save number is probably not going to be as high as we might like, but I think he can still get to 25, 30 saves, best case scenario. Probably more likely is like 25. But we saw Daniel Bard, I've used his example a lot, have 34 saves for a 68-win team last year. So there's definitely some potential for David Bednar to, you know, give you 30 saves. I think you're probably projecting him at 25 would be would be the safest range to do it. And you guys should go check out the closer article that I dropped today. Actually, uh, my rankings article came out at sportsethos.com if you guys want to take a look at that and take a look at where Bednar and everybody else is ranked. I do like him a lot. I think the price is reasonable for Bednar as well. Uh, he is going at about pick 100, roughly pick 100, a little bit after maybe. I think that's totally fair, especially considering the way the closers just fly off the board. I think that that is, that is totally reasonable to take him around pick 100. Now, Andy Rodriguez is, I believe, projected to, at some point, come up this season. And I don't know exactly when that's going to be. If you look at the minor league numbers, they're, they're very good. Strikeout rates routinely under 20%, almost all the time under 20%, with walk rates that are between 11 and 14%. Batting average, almost always 300. WRC Plus numbers, very good in the 150s, 160s a lot of the time. And last year, I know it's not a big sample size, in AA over 31 games, it was 199. When he moved up to AAA, only six games, it was 208. Again, the sample sizes are too small to do anything with. But Andy Rodriguez has the potential to be a nice little stash. Bring him up, or when they bring him up, you bring him up on your team later on in the season. Now, he's not somebody I'd necessarily be drafting in your shallower leagues. I, not necessarily. I wouldn't be drafting him in your shallower leagues. But as somebody in a draft champions format who you can speculate on, I did take him in one of my draft champions. I think that there is a lot of hope that you could see very good production out of him. I'm not going to say it's going to be great because with catchers, they're very hard to project in year one especially. And the team context is not great. But just in terms of what he can do, good power, Good, good batting average, you know, a couple of throw-in steals, nothing crazy, probably just one or two. But any non-zero steal number from a catcher is good. You'll take that with the power and the batting average. Andy Rodriguez is an interesting guy. If you have those NA slots, I've talked about this a lot. That's what Yahoo calls them. Not applicable, not available, whatever you want to call it. Uh, for guys who are in the minor leagues, and if you're still setting up your leagues, if there's commissioners listening to this, I would really recommend doing that because it doesn't change the landscape more unfairly for anybody over anybody else. You just give everybody one or two NA slots. You can add up prospects. You can add up guys who are going to be called up to the big league soon. Hopefully going to be called up to the big league soon. And you stash them on your team. That's what I did last year with Estre Ruiz for a while. I did it with Corbin Carroll. I did it with Gunnar Henderson. If you are a manager, if you are a commissioner, uh, of one of your leagues, then that's something I would definitely consider is letting your redraft managers be able to do that. Now, honestly, that's pretty much it for this team. They're not, they're not good, guys, and it's, it's, it's very well known that they are not good. I'm not breaking any news here by, by telling you guys that. I think that there's really not so much more you can really get into with this team. They're going to they're gonna bottom out in the division most likely. Maybe the Reds, be one or the other, but I think the Pirates have a very good chance of finishing at the bottom of this division. The, the lineup is okay. There are some guys who do interest me, you know, Cruz and Reynolds specifically, Cabrian Hayes as well, and then there are some interesting, you know, later round guys like Santana and McCutcheon, Zawinski. But the pitching is just so, so brutal to go into the season with Mitch Keller as as your ace. It's, it's really, really bad. Um, so there's not much hope on the pitching front. 
Contreras, a lot of people have hope in him. I think the best case scenario is like a low four ZRA. And there's nobody on this team who is going to win you double-digit games. I'd be shocked. I'd be shocked if any of these pitchers actually end up winning 10 games. So that's where I am on Pittsburgh. I'm not a huge fan of drafting any of these players for fantasy. It's just not that interesting. There are some guys, like I said, who are, are okay. You can maybe take a chance on O'Neill Cruz I like. Brian Reynolds I like. Bednar I like. And Cabrian Hayes a little bit farther down I like. Other than that, there's really not much going on here with this team uh, for fantasy this year. Well, let's talk about the Nationals. The Nationals, there is even less to talk about on the Nationals, and that's kind of why I did them combined here over one episode. We don't need to spend a whole hour talking about the Pirates or a whole hour talking about the Nationals. We've got a finite number of shows before opening day as well, and I'm going to do some over the weekend, but I want to get through these, these team previews, and there's no need to spend a whole hour on either of these teams. And let's talk about the Nationals right now. So... In terms of their lineup, the amount of guys I'm interested in, I'm interested in Lane Thomas. I'm interested in Candelario to some degree. Kybert Ruiz, yes. C.J. Abrams. Those are the guys I'm interested in. We'll talk about Joey Manessis as well. But those are the guys that I'm interested in. So Lane Thomas, we'll start it with him. He's right at the top. He is going to be the leadoff hitter, projected to be the leadoff hitter. Surprising how good Lane Thomas was last season. Uh, 17 homers. He had eight stolen bases. He batted 241. And he had all right counting stats, 62 runs and 52 ribbies. Not great, but definitely not terrible from Lane Thomas. You know, I, I think when you're looking for outfielders to speculate on close to pick 300 or anywhere outside of the top 250, he makes a pretty decent target going where he is. At 289, he is going to play. He should play most, if not every single day. Projections have him for about 130 games. I think he could probably play more. I don't see that anybody's going to really compete for that playing time. Uh, they have them going for a lot of them, and if you look at Steamer, you look at Zips, uh, you look at ATC, a lot of them are calling for about 15 to 17 homers and low-end double-digit steals. The best projection for him is Steamer, 19 homers and 12 steals with a 9% walk rate and a 236 batting average. Not bad at all. At the price, Lane Thomas could be a very interesting play this season. As like a fourth outfielder, fifth outfielder, I'm not pushing up draft boards. I'm not really pushing anybody up draft boards. Like, draft them where they're going. You don't need to reach beyond maybe a round or two on any player at all uh, because depending on where you're drafting, that's where they're going. You don't really, you know, you, I hope you guys know what I'm saying. You don't need to really reach for anybody if you know where they're generally going in your format. If you're playing on Yahoo 12-teamer, you know where this player generally goes in Yahoo 12-teamers. You don't need to reach five rounds for them. You can reach maybe a round if you want to secure it. Uh, but a lot of the times people follow ADP boards to a fault over on those sites like Yahoo, ESPN, and yada, 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 CBS, fan tracks, and all the rest of those you know home league sites. Lane Thomas does make for a pretty decent option if you are talking about close to pick 300. Again, do not push him up. He doesn't need to be pushed up. Take him at 275, 280, and you're probably getting somebody who's playing almost every day and has a good potential for you know close to 20 homers and double-digit steals, which is, again, it, it's pretty good. Now, moving down the lineup, Corey Dickerson projected about second. I got no interest there. I'll talk about Joey Manessis because I think that we are collectively insane with the way we are projecting him. I'm I'm so far out on Joey Manessis. I am I'm just I, I don't even really want to talk about him because I just think that this is gonna be a huge waste of time and Frank Schwindel is going to be, you know, the ghost of Frank Schwindel is gonna come up and haunt us. And some people don't like that comp. You know, you're talking about a guy who spent a lot of time in the minor leagues, came up, had a nice little spurt where he played 
56 games. This is 56 games we're talking about for Manessis. He is 30, about to be 31 years old. And granted, he was incredible over that short period of time. He was a league winner. And, you know, we throw around the term league winner, but he batted 324. He had 13 homers, 33 runs, 34 ribbies, and a steal over just 56 games. That's really impressive. I just don't think he's going to do it again. And a lot of people seem to think that Joey Manessis is going to do it again for whatever reason. Some of the projections have him for 25, 26 home runs. You know, the Fangraphs depth chart project or the, the Zips depth chart projections, which takes the Zips projections and puts them into the playing time projections over on Fangraphs. They think he'll hit 28 homers, have 74 RBIs, and bat 265. No chance is that going to happen. So we got to look at everything. The Babbitt was 371 last season. That's unsustainably high number. Even in the minor leagues, he has some pretty good BABIPs. Is it going to be 371 for a guy who's not quick? I don't think so. Is he going to hit this many home runs over this many games? So 13 home runs in 56 games. Like that's, let's see what that would be over a full season. That's like a 37 home run pace. That's not going to happen. Even if it's 28 home run pace, that's not going to happen. In the minors, recently in the minors he has shown pretty decent pop going back to about 2018 before that nothing zero never had a season that was double digit homers then he had 23 homers in triple uh, a in 2018 and then he had 20 of them last year in triple a i just don't see him doing this over the course of a full season and i think we're drafting him as if he is going to as a top 200 pick you know he's just outside of it in some drafts but the minimum pick recently in just the last two weeks is 166 to be taking a guy like Joy Manessis there where we really, truly don't know at all what we're going to get, and it's likely not going to be good. He was in the minor league since 2011. If he really, truly had something across multiple different good organizations, Atlanta, Philadelphia, and Boston. Say what you will about Boston in recent years. Atlanta knows what they're doing. Philadelphia knows what they're doing. Boston generally knows what they're doing. If he was that good, why did it take him to 31 years old to get called up? I know I understand that sometimes this happens, very ever so rarely. And you see a Frank Schwindel, or you see what Manessis did last year. How often does it carry over? Almost never. So with Manessis, I have zero interest in drafting him. I hope everybody else joins me in scratching him off of their boards because there is truly nothing, nothing here. And if I'm wrong about that, then I will tweet about it. I will talk about it on the podcast. But I'm pretty damn sure that I'm not going to be wrong about Joey Manessis. And I like to cheer for the Joes. There's not that many Joes in baseball. When somebody shares my name... It's a stupid little bias, but when someone has your same name, you kind of tend to like them more. With Manessis, there's nothing that I look at, and I, and I can't even take the, the fact that he's a fellow Joe and give him any extra credit for that because there's just nothing here from a fantasy point of view that I think is going to carry over. He's on a bad team. He doesn't steal bases. The batting average is unsustainably high, and so are the home run projections or the home run pace. The counting stats are not going to be there. There's just, for me, there's a million reasons to not like Joey Manessis. Even though he was very good over a short sample size, I think the projections have, have collectively lost their mind on him. Now, Jimer Candelario, I think it might be Heimer Candelario technically, but uh, we call him Jimer Candelario a lot of the time. Now, he is still, I think, a pretty good baseball player. In 2021, he had 42 doubles, which I believe led Major League Baseball. He had 16 homers, 75, uh, 75 runs. He batted 271. And batting average, he's always been pretty decent with the batting average. There's been a couple of seasons and a couple of smaller sample sizes where he's been worse. But for the career, a 240 hitter. He's got a 297 stretch in there in 2020. He had a 283 stretch in 2017. 271 in 2021. And that was over a good 
good number of games. Now, last year, the Babbitt was in the toilet for him. The walk rate went down. The strikeout rate went up. He ended up not lasting in Detroit. New start here at a terrible position in third base. I think that Jaime Candelario makes for a very good speculative ad in your deeper leagues or speculative uh, draft pick. I'd pick 400. The minimum is about 330. The maximum is about 450. There's a pretty big range where he's going. But I think Candelario, you give him a new start. You give him, granted, it's not a great team or a great park or anything, but he's coming from Detroit. You know, He's not coming from a great ballpark. He's coming from a horrible ballpark where he was still able to give you pretty decent home run and power numbers as a whole. Give him a new start here. He is projected to be the four-hitter in the lineup. There's probably going to be some decent RBI chances for him. If he ends up getting to like 70-ish RBIs, I wouldn't be shocked. The projections have him for 55 to 67, depending on which ones you look at. I don't think 70-plus RBIs is a ridiculous number to expect. With close to 20 homers, getting out of Detroit can do absolute wonders for a power hitter. And not that he is you know, your quintessential power hitter, but you can turn what once was a 19-16 home run guy into a 20 home run guy pretty easily by leaving Detroit, I think. So Candelario, also the whole fresh new start thing. Uh, There's a lot to like. There's a lot to invest in here, especially at the price at 400. I really like it. I think I'm willing to pay it. Now, Kybert Ruiz, Kybert, how is it pronounced? I always forget how this one is pronounced. Kybert, I think it's Kybert. Like key, like door key, and then bear, as in, you know, grizzly bear. I think that's how it's actually pronounced, Kybert. Um, but Kybert Kybert, I'm really not, let's call him Ruiz for the sake of me not butchering this poor guy's name anymore. I think that he has the potential to actually be really, really good. And he was one of the pieces that came over to Washington in the trade that sent Max Scherzer over there. He was a very highly regarded prospect, very good batting averages and on base percentages in the minor leagues. He is somebody who, you know, he's allergic to striking out. The guy does not strike out. Last season, it was 11.5%. He had a 7% walk rate. He is a good play in OBP leagues. He is a good play, I think, in, in a lot of different leagues. He's got a he's got the power. I mean, it's not crazy power, but can he give you, you know, 15 home runs? I think he can. If you look at 2021 in AAA, he had 16 homers in 52 games. You know, there's certain examples of him throughout the minor leagues having very good power. The speed was even there a little bit last year. We hadn't seen him steal a base since 2015 at rookie ball when he was 16 years old. He stole six bases in the major leagues last season, over 112 games. I think you can, you know, I don't know how much the rules are going to help a guy like Ruiz, who's not a quick guy, but he's not the slowest guy. I think you're probably going to see about that again, five or six stolen bases. The power should go up eventually. I mean, I don't know if it's going to happen this season, but there is definitely 15 to 20 home run power in, in Ruiz's bat. That I am sure of. He has shown it over the course of the minor leagues that he is you know, a lot better than seven home runs over 112 games. So, can he get to where the projections have him at 10 to 15? I think so. I think that we're probably going to see, I'd say, about 12 home runs, five stolen bases, a pretty solid batting average. He's always been a good batting average guy. The projections have him for about 260. He was 250 last year. I think that that's probably fairly reasonable, 260 to 270. Not going to blow you away with counting stats, but as a catcher, I don't know that he necessarily needs to to be valuable considering where he is going and what he is able to do for you. And the sad thing with this Nationals team is that Ruiz is the highest drafted player by ADP on the team at 190. His ADP is 190. That's crazy that he is the most expensive player on the team at 190, but that's just the way the cookie crumbles. They're a bad team. You don't really have to pay up for him. I'm going to try and get him as my second catcher in TGFBI. I hope that nobody in my league is listening to this. Hoping not. Doubting it. Hoping not. Uh, I'm going to try and pair him with Tyler Stevenson, the other catcher that I had. You get good batting average from both of your catchers. You're going to be in a very good place. 
Um, but I think Ruiz is, is pretty reasonably priced. He's still only 24. We could see him take a step forward again this year. You know, good power and good batting average to go along with some steals from a catcher. It does not grow on trees. So I think Ruiz, honestly, is somebody that should be more of a target than he probably is. The price, even though he's in a bad team, bad lineup, is probably pretty reasonable. He's batting fifth, so there's still some decent run in RBI potentials, more so probably in terms of RBIs as opposed to the guys below him driving him in. Uh, but I definitely do like Ruiz. Now, Dominic Smith, after him in the lineup, I, I don't really see any value in Dominic Smith. He would be like a deep, deep league guy if you want to have a little bit of extra value. It's like a first, I think he's just first base eligible. I think he used to be outfield eligible. I could be wrong about that. I think, I think he did. But right now he's just first base eligible. I don't really have any interest in him outside of a deeper league. The guy that I do have interest in here, though, is C.J. Abrams. C.J. Abrams, we don't really know exactly what he can be. The speed is definitely a lot better than what we saw at the big league level. If you're talking about going back to 2021 over 42 games at AA, he had 13 steals. 2022 over 30 games at AAA, he had 10 steals. And and then actually he played a few more games at AAA for Washington. Um, it was eight games and four more steals. So last season in AAA, over 38 games, he stole 14 bases. Over 90 major league games, he stole seven bases. We can definitely see that power come back, or not the power, excuse me. We can definitely see that speed come back to what it was more so in the minor leagues, I think. I think he's, you know, and the projections all seem to agree as well. Between 15 and 19 steals, I'd say probably closer to the higher end. There's no reason to not let him run. He is 21, sorry, just turned 22 years old. There's no reason to hold him back, especially with these new rules. He is going to be somebody who has the potential to take a lot of advantage of these restricting throwovers and the pitch clock. And I think that you know the bigger bases as well are going to help him. I don't think he's going to be a huge power guy. <clears throat> he wasn't really in the minor leagues. I mean, he didn't have that much time at any particular level of the minor leagues. I think he's probably, best case scenario, down the line, 15 home run guy this year, probably 7 to 10. Again, counting stats, same thing as everybody else in this lineup. He might score a few more runs than the other guys because of his speed. But I don't think we're going to see crazy high numbers. I'm thinking we're probably going to get 60 to 65 runs and about 50 RBIs from him. <clears throat> but as a deeper round, as a later guy to take, I pick 216. Uh, not the latest, I guess. But considering shortstop does kind of dry up after about pick 150, you might be stuck. And, you know... Most people are going to have a shortstop secured in those leagues by that point, but if you don't, he's a great option. There's a couple of really great options in that range. Ezekiel Tovar as well. I think he's going a little bit later. I'm just looking at Washington's ADP stuff right now. I think Tovar is going in a similar range. Yeah, both very good options to speculate on at shortstop. Even if you did take a shortstop earlier on, you can put him into a middle infield slot or you could have him even potentially in a shallower league as like a bench specialist as somebody who steals bases for you when you're, you know, second half of the week, you need to plug in some steals. I think that's where the value lies uh, with Abrams. But in a deeper league, in a, like NFBC style league, he's somebody who's probably going to be a starting player based on where he's going. And I, and I do think that it is reasonable. You might see low end double digit homers. You're certainly going to see double digit steals and we should probably see a decent batting average. I don't think it's going to be crazy high. But I think he could probably hit you like 250, 260. I think that that's totally there. In the minors, a lot of the time, closing in on 300, over 300. And to start out, you know, in the major leagues, 246 is not the greatest, but his BABIP was quite a bit lower than in the minors. In the minors, you're looking at 425, 365, 343, very high BABIPs he was running. Last year was 291. It's not a horribly low number, 
But when you've been running them in the 340s and in the 350s throughout your minor league career, you're going to lose some points for batting average. Also, I mean, he didn't walk at all in the majors. Like, literally 90 games, he walked five times. It's something that he did a lot better in the minor leagues. Not a great uh, taker of balls, but he's definitely better than 1.7% walk rate. There should just be an improvement across the board from C.J. Abrams as a full-time player this year. I'm very interested in drafting him. Even where he's going, I, I think it's I think it's fairly reasonable. <clears throat> now the last two guys here, Victor Robles, you know he's a guy who can be a steel specialist kind of guy. Not somebody I'm interested in. Luis Garcia, I have some outside interest in. I don't think he's going to be great. There's not much power. There's not much speed. He's a pretty decent source of batting average. That's probably about it, though. The projections, some of them seem to think like Zips has him hitting 17 home runs. I don't think that that necessarily is in him. He did hit 13 homers in 37 games at AAA and 21. But if you look at the other levels of the minor leagues, you know, 129 games at AA in 2019, four homers. You know, 28 or, yeah, 2018, between A and high A, you're looking at about 120 games here. He had seven homers. So I don't think that he is a big power guy. I think that you're probably going to see him hit single-digit home runs. Maybe he gets the 10 couple of steals thrown in there. Again, another guy who does not walk at all. His price is about 310. And I think at that point, I'm kind of indifferent on him, really. I don't think that he is a great value or somebody to stay away from. I think he's just kind of fine. At second base, where it can be a little bit harder to find depth, maybe he is somebody that you're looking at. And maybe you look at the projections, you think he can hit 15 home runs. By all means, at that price, then that would be a pretty good bargain if he's able to give you like 15 homers, five or six steals, and hit 270, 280 then you could be cooking with gas, even with the lack of counting stats. I'm just personally not terribly interested in drafting him. I think he's a fine fallback, backup kind of option, but nobody that I'm necessarily targeting. Now, in terms of the rotation, again, not a great starting rotation here, but there is more promise to the rotation than there is with the Pittsburgh rotation, where with Pittsburgh's lineup I was a little more confident in, um, and their pitching was, was pretty shit. Here it's kind of the reverse. The pitching has the potential to be okay, and it's not going to come from Patrick Corbin. I don't think it's going to come from Trevor Williams, but Josiah Gray, Cade Cavalli, and Mackenzie Gore could potentially be a pretty decent, you know, one, two, three option down the line. Josiah Gray, I missed on him a little bit last year. I thought he'd get the control back under control a little bit better. I thought the home runs wouldn't be as much of a problem. They're pretty much just as much of a problem there. It's more than two homers per nine, four walks per nine. You know, there's a lot not to like there. His ERA ended up being 502. And Josiah Gray is somebody, he was another piece in that Max Scherzer trade. I think that he is a lot better than this, but the unfortunate reality of him right now until he proves it is that you're paying up for a guy who's not really going to do too much for you outside of give you some pretty decent strikeout numbers. And even the strikeout numbers, not what we would have hoped coming out of the minor leagues. They were closer to 30%. Now we're looking at 24, 23%. Last year was 237 the walk rates were never this bad in the minor leagues. The highest they ever were was like rookie ball and A-level back 2018, 2019, and they were about 8%. He had them at 4.5%, 7%, 3.5%. Now they're up over 10%. I think that he probably can correct it, but how long it'll take to correct that, I'm not sure. The projections think that he'll go from somewhere between 8.8% to 9.4%. If it's, if it's down at 8.8%, his walk rate, and he gets the strikeouts back up to even like 26%, I think that there could be some value here in Josiah Gray. He's not somebody that is being targeted by a lot of people. He's going close to pick 400, 
382 is the ADP just in the most last couple of weeks. Minimum pick of 318, maximum of 449. So there's still a big range. People aren't really sure what to make of him, and I'm not really sure what to make of him, to be honest. He looked so good in the minors. He, I, was, I was so happy when, not when he got traded, but when he got called up in 2021. And he was not very impressive. And he hasn't been impressive either of these first two seasons that he's had. We're talking a 220-inning sample size, so it's not like we're talking about two or three starts. He started 41 games at the big league level. He's going to have to start putting up. We're not at put up or shut up range yet at 25 years old. But I'm, you know, I want to let's let's get moving here in terms of his production. Uh, I don't want to see Josiah Gray become a bust or become somebody that we don't have any interest in. I think that we're we're heading there if he doesn't fix the walk rate and the home runs specifically too. Like the home runs really bad, a problem that never plagued him in the minors at all. Like we're talking like 0.4 homers per nine, 0.0. Like, like he just wasn't giving up home runs. If it was, it was like one or two for the whole year. And he's given up one or two per game at this point, and it's, it's gotten ugly. So he needs to correct a few things before I'm truly interested. That being said, at the price, there could be a lot of value at pick 382. I think that if you look at it, there's a chance that he does end up as like a top 250 player. Maybe he's like a top 100 starter. I honestly don't. I think I had him. I think he was like the, maybe the very end. He was my 94th starter uh, on my top 100. So that's kind of where I'm at on him. He's not somebody that I'm necessarily targeting, but there is definitely potential for him to have a very good career. And I think he still probably will. And he should be the ace of the staff, I think. Um, Patrick Corbin. <clears throat> I don't think we need to talk about Patrick Corbin, guys. Patrick Corbin, as much as I think that, well, we'll talk about it for just a second. He's not as bad as people perceive him to be. He is kind of a running gag at this point, and a lot of it too, and I know he is to blame for, for a big part of it, is the loss number for the last couple of seasons. So <clears throat> he has started over the last two seasons 62 games. Fairly average number if you're, if you're a healthy pitcher for two seasons. 35 losses. That's not team losses. That is decisions that Patrick Corbin has that are L's in the category. He's not striking anybody out. He's walking too many batters. He's giving up home runs. I mean, okay, maybe the walks are acceptable number, but when you're talking about 18% strikeout rate, you're talking about the fact that the team sucks. There's not much value here. Now, he does, if you're looking at the ERA versus the expected ERAs and the rest of it, generally, he's probably not getting the exact outcomes he deserves. His ex-FIP was 421. His FIP was 484. I'm going to take a look at the Sierra. I'm not sure what the Sierra was. 433. Honestly, that's all fairly reasonable. It's just the fact that no strikeouts, the results actually are not there regardless of what they're supposed to be, and the fact that he plays for Washington. Like, there's just not really much to like here with Patrick Corbin. I might have said that point twice about him playing for Washington. I probably did. It's going to hurt. And every starter we talked about today, every pitcher we talked about today, not so much the closers, but every starter who pitches for the Nationals or the Pirates they're going to see a fairly low ceiling for their win total for the season, and it's probably 10. 10 is the absolute ceiling you can expect from any pitcher who is starting for either of these teams. Corbin will not be the guy to get the 10 victories. He will get the 10 losses, most indubitably, uh, but 10 victories I, I don't really see. Now, Trevor Williams, kind of interesting, I guess. He was pretty good last year. He was actually at times very good last year for the Mets. I don't really see it again. He was kind of a spot starter last year who did have value. Now he's probably going to be asked to do more again in terms of full-time starters role when he's had that in the past. Generally has not gone terribly well. He did have a good year in Pittsburgh in 2018, but for the career, he's just not somebody you can really trust. 
I have no interest in Trevor Williams personally. I think that you know if you're very late in drafts, going after pick six hundred, you're hoping for some innings at that point. Maybe you take a chance, but nobody I'd be really targeting. Cade Cavalli is kind of an interesting prospect still. I'm not the biggest prospect guy, but looking back over his minor league career, oh, it's okay over the last couple of seasons. It's all right. Good strikeout numbers are the main takeaway there. I don't really know exactly what he's going to be. He kind of fits the mold of these other guys that they've got where he's he's allowing too many walks, you know, good, decent strikeouts, but he's walking too many batters. And it's the same general consensus that I'm going to have for all these guys. There's just not a hell of a lot of upside for anybody pitching for this for either of these teams we're talking about today. And Cavalli, he's sometimes going inside the top 350 picks. He's sometimes going outside of the top 550 picks, and that's just the last 16 drafts or the last 18 drafts. So there's definitely a big range. People aren't really sure how to feel about him. I'm pretty sure we're not going to see a great year from him, especially as a rookie for Washington, man. Like, I mean, looking at his minor league track record, which is pretty much just 2021. He came up pretty quickly through the ranks. He was very good. He had high strikeout numbers, but the walk rate is going to be a problem. And this team is going to be a problem. There's just not, again, there's not a lot of upside here for for really anybody that I'm really seeing here. I mean, maybe you're able to see 10 wins with average numbers from one or two of these guys. I don't know. I'm hoping for Josiah Gray. Everybody else, there's not much hope. Mackenzie Gore is the other guy here who might have some hope, and he's actually the most expensive starting pitcher on the team at 348 by ADP. Again, uh, Mackenzie Gore, I don't know what to make of him. I want to think that he is going to be great. He had a great cup of coffee with San Diego last year before he was traded, and then he was pretty, pretty bad. Um, Or actually, before he was traded, sorry. It was actually before he was even traded um, he was looking really good for his first few starts, and then he just totally fell off the cliff. Let me pull up the game log for him here and just see exactly when it happened. Uh, but when it happened, it was, like, seriously ugly stuff. Um, so it was on June the 11th against Colorado. And then it was the next start out in Colorado, and between those two starts, he threw six and a third and gave up 14 earned runs. The first one was at home. There's nothing you can say there in terms of, well, you know, it was Coors. The second one... You can write it off as Coors. But then what do we do about his start on July 10th against San Francisco? Eight earned runs. You know, the strikeouts completely evaporated down the stretch. It's, it's complete. It's crazy how different he was after June the 4th. Like, uh, it's, it's night and day, and I almost want to tweet it out. It looks like two separate pitchers, two separate complete seasons, entities. It's, 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 it's a stark contrast, to say the least between his first half and second half. He looked like he was on his way to a Cy, or not a Cy Young, a Rookie of the Year award, or, or well on his way to Rookie of the Year award for part of it. And then it came to the point where he wasn't even in the conversation at all. Uh, but Mackenzie Gore, there is still potential. I think the price is a little bit too high, though. I don't want to be paying close to a top 300 pick, and that's generally where you're paying. three. Well, 315 is the minimum. 348 is the current ADP. I just think it's generally a little bit too rich considering so many unknowns with Gore there. Are the strikeouts going to be good? I think they're going to be pretty good. 23% last year at the major league level, though. For the career at the minor league level, you're looking at 38, 34, 28, you know, over 40% at rookie ball, which is rookie ball, whatever. But at AA in 2021, 39%. AAA in 2022, which I think this is a fairly small sample size as well for the most part, but you're talking about like 40% K rate. He is capable of doing it. But at the big league level, it was a 23% strikeout rate and a 12% walk rate. So at that point, at that price point too, at close to pick 350, 
I, I just don't really want any Mackenzie Gore shares this season. And you know, people will disagree. People will say, no, he's gonna he's gonna break out, he's gonna progress, this and that. How much breaking out can you really do on a team like this that doesn't give a shit about winning? They aren't prioritizing it. They're going to lose 100 games. Probably both of these teams we talked about today are going to lose 100 games, which is why I combined them. I don't need to you know, go through two hours of this as opposed to one. There's not that many players where you need to devote two hours to this. I think for the most part, you're looking at very low floor starting pit or low ceiling starting pitchers. There is some high floors, the guys we talked about today still too, or high ceilings, excuse me. I'm mixing up my, my floors and ceilings and walls. Josiah Gray has a pretty good, pretty good solid ceiling. Rodi Contreras, I think it's a pretty decent ceiling. Mitch Keller, eh, I, there's there's some hope there, but I'm not holding my breath exactly. Mackenzie Gore as well. Like there are some guys who could potentially be good names. There are more targets for me, not outside of Keller there. Talking more about Gore and Contreras and Gray. They're more dynasty targets. They're not somebody I'm really targeting for this season. In terms of the lineups, you know, I think Pittsburgh's lineup has some interesting names in it. Washington's lineup has a couple interesting names in it. For the most part, though, you're drafting these guys. You have to kind of be aware of the fact that you're limiting your ability to have counting stats. And there's, you know, even with a guy like O'Neill Cruz, where it should be pretty good, there's a give and a take because the batting average is going to suck. So, as exciting as it is to take these young prospects, guys who are still relative unknowns, even though I, I, I have a share of O'Neill Cruz already, I'll probably have more, it's generally probably smarter to stay away at cost because we just don't know what their appropriate value is yet. We're with most of these other players. We know for years now what their general relative value is going to be with Cruz. You know, pick 70 might be a great deal. It might also be a shit deal. We just don't know. And I took him at 73 or something in that in that draft champions in Arizona. I, I don't know that I'd do it again. I, you know, I took him because he's kind of exciting and he's kind of fun. And he'll probably be very good. He'll probably give me 25 homers and 15 steals. But I don't know that we're going to see great counting stats from him. Or, and from anybody else, if we're not going to see it from him, I don't know if we're going to see it from anybody. He's the best player fantasy-wise we talked about today. And even him, like I'm excited about him from from one side of it. And the other side is, well, why am I taking O'Neal Cruz when I can wait 50 picks and get Carlos Correa? Or get somebody, and I know they're different skill sets, but you know, essentially why are you, why are you going three, four rounds above where you can get a couple other good players? Jeremy Pena at the same position. You can get good players at the same position without really having to pay for it. So, uh, you know, generally, um, you know, this is not going to be, you know, hot take or anything like that. You draft the players who are on good teams first. And it's not always going to work out that way. There are going to be players on shitty teams who get drafted high up because they're just that good. For the most part, for players on these two teams, I'm not very excited to be drafting them because there is a limited potential for upside based on the team context, the lineup around them. Ballparks are, are generally fine, but it's more so about the teams and how much they are going to actually produce runs, RBIs, wins, save opportunities. There's not a lot to like. And I missed out on, on the last piece of here, actually, for Washington. That's Kyle Finnegan. I think Kyle Finnegan is going to be the closer. There's nobody else who really is capable, I don't think, again, in this bullpen of closing. Maybe you get Carl Edwards Jr. Alex Colomay got signed, so maybe Alex Colomay is potentially somebody down the line. He's got a non-roster invite. I think it's Kyle Finnegan. Kyle Finnegan is one of the last closers that you're seeing go off the board in terms of early, relatively early closers that have a job secured. He's not that you're not speculating on. Kyle Finnegan going around pick 220, 225. And, you know, after him, there's pretty much nobody left in terms of your save opportunities closers. So I think he's fine. I think that he fits the role of closer. Yes, you'll get 20, 25 saves out of him probably if he's healthy. 
Again, not exciting, not somebody that I'm going out of my way to draft. I think he's fine. But there's nobody that really makes me excited on this team that's on either of these teams. That, and that's a common theme today. Try and draft draft good players on good teams, guys. It's not hard. It's simple. That's what you do. That's how you win a fantasy. No, but seriously, there's nobody that makes me really, truly excited about reaching up around or, you know, my pick's coming up and I get to take, you know, Rodolfo Castro or I get to whoever, you know. It's just I'm not there. If you guys are there, more power to you. For me personally, uh, I'm generally staying away. There are exceptions, of course, depending on team build and where you are in drafts and your draft slot. But for the most part, if you can avoid taking Nationals players and Pirates players, I'd probably do it. But guys, that'll do it for us for today. Thank you so much for hanging out over the course of the last year, really. We're approaching a year. We're like a week or two away from the from the year marker on this podcast. Uh, it's very exciting, the whole thing. And I appreciate you guys being there to help out and support along the ride. Continue supporting if you can by letting us know what you think. Leaving a rating and review really goes a long way. Helps other people see the show, gives me some feedback, lets me know what you guys like or don't like, and it's really, truly a helpful thing that you guys can do. More importantly, though, than that, the most important thing you guys can do today is go check out E-T-H-O-S Fantasy BB, Ethos Fantasy BB on Twitter. Hit it with a follow and go check out all the new articles that we've got there. My relief pitcher rankings are out. I've got a most. I've got a few positions that are out now. They're going to keep coming out every day, most likely. Maybe every other day we're going to release a position, build up the suspense a little bit for you guys. And we are we're pretty much in draft season, guys. And the draft guide is available with close to twenty articles that are there to help you guys out. Check out at sportsethos.com, not at just sportsethos.com. Hover over the MLB tab, and you guys can see all those great articles that the team has put together. Really want to t- uh, give them a round of applause because they have just done a fantastic job pulling together this draft guide, and their work should be read because it is truly great stuff. Make sure you're checking it out. But until tomorrow, guys, until next time, we have a great evening. Hope you enjoyed the show, and we will see you tomorrow. Cheers. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.